Hey, does it tick you off every single time you see a corporate chain running some ridiculous ad and you know the only reason they're running that ad is to try to run us out of business, us solo dentists? Well, let's do something about it. Go to solodentist.com. It's our private Facebook group. It's just for us. No corporate hacks allowed. And we'll help each other fight as hard as we can for as long as we can. It's the safe place that we need right now. Plus, we got a lot of cool things coming along for this group as we grow. That's solodentistgroup.com. And it's totally free. Not like those specials the other guys are running. Welcome to the Dr. Chris Griffin Show, your resource for leveraging systems and technology to ease your workload, increase productivity, and provide you with the time off you deserve to live the life of your dreams. It's time to practice productivity and the passionate pursuit of a better life with your host, Dr. Chris Griffin. The doctor is in. Well, hey, everybody, this is Dr. Chris Griffin, and we are back. Another episode here in season two, and we have gone out, and you guys are in for a treat today because we have gone out and we have found a tremendous individual to uh, to talk to today. This is Mr. Chris Moriarty. Uh, now, he is he's starting to get a little bit famous on the scene. So, look, this is kind of like uh, the old uh, Ed Sullivan show. We're catching him early catch him early before he gets on all the big time stages, but, and he's hard to get a hold of. So, uh, so anyway, Chris is the vice president at the productive dentist Academy, uh, an amazing organization. And one that I, you know, I aspire to be able to reach as many people as they have myself, because I'm, you know, I love Bruce Baird and Vicki and all the people there. And so Chris is just a tremendous individual there. And so, Hey, let's just cut to the chase. Chris, are you there today? I am. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Man, uh, I, I'm I'm thanking you uh, now to give you guys a little backstory. Uh, Chris and I met at the Voices of Dentistry meeting up in uh, Nashville in 2017. We'd never met, and uh, we hit it off. But Chris had to jet out of there for uh, for some weird circumstances at that meeting, and you know, and so so we didn't get to talk much. And then we we hooked up again in Orlando at the Dental Town meeting a couple of weeks ago, but. Like he was getting off the elevator and I was getting on and we were already late for <laughs> dinner. And if you've ever, hey, if you've ever had dinner reservations at Le Cellier in Disney World, you don't want to miss those, right? Because that's, that's be like that. the hardest reservation to get. So I was like, oh man. And so we couldn't talk then either. But hey, we fixed it. We're here today. And uh, today we're going to lay down as much gold as we possibly can to give you guys that are listening in on the show. Absolutely. And again, this is one of those things that's been on my bucket list for so long. Always just, you know, two seconds too late whenever uh, whenever we're around each other. Um, but to kind of and here's why I'm excited. I've been talking to dentists for, for about 10 years now. And I always tell people that if, if I talk to 10 dentists in a week, um, six of them are scared to death. You know, these are the folks that uh, they can't make payroll. They can't pay their taxes. The environment's changing around them. They're patients they've had for a lot of years. They're noticing their cars and parking lots and whatnot. Um, then, of course, you got this middle group that are, you know, they're doing fine, um, but maybe they're a little flat. They're a little slow. Then you got this group on the end who are folks who are just going 80 miles an hour. They want to go 100 miles an hour. They just can't have the wheels flying off. And one of the things that I'm, I'm sure you'll agree as, as we talk to so many people, um, 
there's some bad advice out there. You know, there's some folks who um, you know may not share similar philosophies when it comes to putting the patient first. You know, our expression that Bruce Baird taught me is take amazing care of people, the money will take care of itself. So when uh, when we started to hear your podcast, you know, years ago and you and all the, the folks who kind of started this wave, uh, we we desperately wanted to be aligned with you because our philosophies were so ingrained. It was so patient forward. You can take amazing care of people and have a thriving business. So I'm excited this day's finally come. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, uh, of course, look, it seems weird. It, it, you would think. It's like, uh, why would I? Because if you just looked at our two companies, uh, of course, now Productive Dentist Academy is like way bigger than my company, Capacity Academy. But I mean, I mean, if you had to say we we, we do teach similar stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I'm of the opinion when you know somebody is doing a great job for people and I've heard nothing but great stuff from people that have gone through your courses and. And hey, uh, Bruce and I, I've never met him personally, but I know so many people who's touched their lives and they love him, right? They just love yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, like, we, I just we like being associated with people that I know other people really like and they know they've done them a good job. So it, to me, well, it's weird. I, don't, I know it yeah. seems like we would be competitors, but I don't even, I don't even really think about it like that. Well, and it's, a, it's interesting. And this is something that um, you know, we teach our doctors as well, is that you got to come from this place of abundance. Uh, the PDA, we're going into our 15th year of helping practices grow. And of course, we were primarily, you know, live events and seminars down in Texas. And I think it would surprise most people to find out that probably 10 to 15 percent of any of those rooms are people who are under active management from other groups. We have consultants come through our, our course at all, at all, all the time. We don't care because we have a philosophy that the best idea wins. You know, and there's some people that are going to teach something a little bit differently than we do. All that I know fundamentally is that for some reason, dentistry is harder than it's ever been. And folks are having, they're, they're struggling and fighting fights that people 10 years ago didn't have to. And one of the things that really drew me to your system was, hey, you know, you can, you can look at this. And with a little bit of intent and a little bit of uh, ingenuity, you can arrange your day to accomplish more goals than you probably would have, uh, would have assumed. I mean, look at... You have your dentistry, of course, and you've got your passions, you've got your farming, you've got all these things. And it's it's not because, I mean, you're smarter than the average bear. And what was your original degree in? Is it chemical engineering or something insane like that, isn't it? No, it was, uh, uh, my, no, I didn't get the degree. So I got accepted into dental school. Um, actually, I, I got like, I went up and uh, interviewed after my sophomore year and they said, you get your core requirements, you're in after your junior year. So I was in biological mm. engineering and, there it uh, is. And, and, uh, and then I was like, after I got my core uh, requirements, I was like, eh, do, do I want to take, you know, do I want to take differential equations to, <laughs> do I want to take uh, inorganic chemistry to PCHEM, or maybe I would like to take tourism. Uh, maybe I would like to take horseback <laughs> riding. So, so I ended up, you know, transferring out of that. But when I applied, and I'm sure it looked okay on my application, I was in the biological engineering. <laughs> well, you know, you've got the aptitude at the end of the day, I tell you what, but yeah, some of the ways, uh, of course, that you've been able to engineer schedules for people and uh, some of the stuff that I've seen, you know, it's just evidence that, you know, if you look at it like a puzzle and not like a challenge, uh, it's interesting how people come out on the other side because more and more, and this might speak more to, um, I wouldn't, I maybe mean, I wouldn't even say that, uh, some of the younger docs who haven't taken more than a week off um, ever, and I always tell them long weekends don't count. Um, 
they're burned out. They're calling me up, seeing if they should get out and open up a taco bueno or a bar or something like that. And I'm like, you just, you got to listen to the right people. You have no idea what's possible. And you didn't work this hard your whole life to come out on the other side and wishing you'd taken a different road. Doesn't need to be like that. I mean, you got to hear that all the time, don't you? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I don't really, uh, I don't know that I understand it a hundred percent either because I don't think there's, listen, I come from a family of uh, basically everybody in my family is either a farmer or a physician. I was the first dentist, but everybody's either a farmer or a physician. And so let me tell you guys, the physicians are are working hard uh, and mm-hmm. they, they really cannot control their circumstances. However, we dentists, uh, we probably currently have the best opportunity to control our own circumstance. And I, it's hard for me to really grasp why. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, the debt's higher than it used to be. Um, but I guess they come out of school with debt and then they feel like they've got to go into a group and, and then they kind of feel trapped. Uh, I get, I hear that a lot. There's a reason I say I hear that quite often. You, you guys may hear the same stuff. Uh, in fact, at the dental town meeting, I gave, uh, as part of my speaking package, I got a, uh, a free ticket and I gave it to a, a guy who's from my hometown in Mississippi, but he practices in Orlando and, and he's working a lot. Like it was a big deal for him to take off and come, I think, to the meeting as I think he works five days a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, man, I just, I never have done that since 2000 and uh, I guess 2008, 2008, I started working three days a week and I've just never really looked back. In fact, uh, we're down to about 10 days a month. And I told my <laughs> staff the other day that I'm, I was like, you know, uh, I could see going to two days a week pretty soon. And then my hygienists are like, you better get somebody up here to cover us, though, because we want to work more. <laughs> well, and that's that's always kind of where the rubber hits the road, because it's a uh, people look at Bruce. And of course, if you know anything about the PDA, we we talk about everything's in terms of productivity per hour um, around the country. If you look, the average docs doing about 375, maybe 405, depending on where you are. Uh, Bruce produces three thousand dollars an hour and works two days a week. And he's done that for um, the last decade. And it's what I always tell folks is I, I have zero interest in giving anybody one good year, right? Like you have to be designing a system that you can build on and sustain. And I think that's my favorite thing about what you've proven is that you didn't just do it for a month or two months or a summer. Like you've done this and sustained it and are able to grow upon it even, you know, 10 years later. Like that's that's the secret. And that's somebody that I think people need to listen to. Um you know, it's interesting a lot of times when we'll talk to younger dentists or whomever really and talk to them about who they believe their competition is. Usually people attribute somebody's success um, more towards internal initiatives or like they've got some kind of secret rather than external sources. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, my background is in, beca- in what's called behavioral economics, right? I got out of traditional economics because nothing's ever linear right? You can draw all the models and all the graphs that you want. And as long as human beings are involved, it's never going to take that line. Um, So the story that I tell to kind of prove this is I said, what if I told you the story about a dentist, 100% true story, that was seeing in his first year practice, was seeing 300 new patients per month. Would you think, would you call that a successful dentist, successful office. And of course, everyone's hair blows back and they're like, oh my God, you know, wow, it's what amazing numbers. Now, number one, that's a way too high a frequency. Nobody actually wants that. But typically people will say, wow, they must be doing something right. 
So I said, now let me, let me compound this here real quick and say, what if you then found out that at the end of that year, um, that dentist, despite 300 new patients a month, only pocketed $32,000. That's what they took home. That was their pay. Now are they successful? They go, whoa, gosh, no. And I said, now the 300 new patients, do you think it was because he was doing something? Was it word of mouth? Was it marketing? And they would assume so, but the reality in the situation was there was a nuclear power plant being built down the road and 15,000 employees drove past the front door every single day. So when you saw the numbers, we naturally assume they must know that this person knows what's up. And they just don't in most cases. And by the way, uh, that was Bruce Baird, who was, uh, that was, that was his practice all those years ago. And it almost broke him, almost got him out of dentistry. He was so busy and he wasn't, it was not what he thought it was going to be. But this is what happens and why I have so much respect for you in that there's so many people who are like, wow, that guy's got, got it going on. This doctor over here, she knows what's going on. Like, wow. If, when you peel back the onion and you look at their numbers, if they'll let you, there's a, there's a whole lot of posturing and quote unquote authorities that are out there um, where every day you walk the walk. You're not telling people what you think they should do. You're telling people what you do. You've got a team. You've got competition. You've got a family. You've got all this stuff too. And it's so much more authentic. And, uh, and that's why, you know, we've been such a fan of you for so long. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, well, uh, listen, that's, that's, that's very understandable that, uh, I fell into that trap myself. Like I got hooked on, um, one of these, I call them the death spiral bonus systems, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. They're not, uh, you know, they, they'll get you a, like a crack cocaine high at first, uh, for the staff, they get all buzzed about it and they're like making money. But the, the big bonus systems that I've worked with in the past, they all had problems. And so over time you'd start to see cracks in the foundation and, mm -hmm. and usually mm -hmm. you get into this death spiral where you don't even know how to get out of it. And so, uh, at our peak, we were, we were doing, we were three days a week and we were doing, uh, you know, we were bumping up against 200,000 a month doing three days a week. And, and, um, uh, you know, I don't have like a, this is in the middle of nowhere kind of place with no, uh, mm -hmm. we don't get to do a lot. I love implants. I've done a lot of implant training. I've got my implant, um, AGD part done for the, for the MAGD, but, but, uh, you know, we, it's hard to sell them here. I do like one a week is a, is a lot for me. And and so we were doing a lot of production, but we had like 70% overhead. And so mm -hmm. uh, in 2013, as I kind of say, looking back, it was awful. Like it was really bad. In 2013, lightning <laughs> struck my office, burned it to the ground. And uh, oh, yeah, it was, uh, I, don't, I, I guess I never told you that story. So yeah. I, was gonna say, I don't know. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. So we're rocking and rolling. I'm speaking on the lecture circuit and, I guess it's impressive. We were doing some big numbers doing three days a week because I had 70% overhead. I didn't like to brag about that. Right. But, but we were doing big mm -hmm. enough numbers. I was doing well. And, uh, but I had a lot of staff members who I'd gotten on one of these real bad bonus systems early on. And, uh, and so they were making just way more money than you should be making in Ripley, Mississippi. Not that they weren't amazing people, not that they weren't talented, but at some point, you just making too many dollars per hour. If you're making nearly double the, the good paying jobs in the area, I mean, you just, you can't work that much harder, right? You, you just, uh, return on investment yeah. just not that high. And I, and the mm -hmm. problem I had too, uh, was I loved everybody. I loved them. I mean, I, I had connections with them, uh, had gone to school with some of them Had you know, they was making a lot of money though. And so lightning struck my practice, burn it down 7,500 square feet paid off. 
uh, you know, completely paid off. It's gone. And what had happened was mm. I had, uh, I'd gotten my insurance policy back when we started and it was like one building me. I actually did the renovation myself, me and a retired carpenter rebuilt a house and into <laughs> of course three you ops. did. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, he did the electrical and the plumbing, but I did a lot of the, the sheetrock and the painting and all. Anyway, I did the stuff that was not very skilled I could do. Uh, anyway, so we open and, and I just never increased my maximum on my insurance policy. I thought it was the kind of policy that went up in value as, uh, as I added on. So I had built one edition paid for in cash, a second edition paid for in cash, and my maximum my insurance policy for 7,500 square feet was $300,000 for the structure. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? I mean, That's tough. That I is know, tough. I know. So it's gone. Um, we had to, and, and you can't just like find another place to practice while they're rebuilding. So I had to go <laughs> right. seven miles. You had to go seven miles out of town, renovate a nurse practitioner's building that was abandoned into. So I went from 14 ops, which I'm by myself, of course, six were uh, ortho ops, but anyway, 14 ops to five ops and went from 7,500 square feet to 1,200 square feet, went from like four bathrooms to one bathroom for the. <laughs> For, yeah, for like 12 staff members and patients and me, right? For 16 months, we were in that little bitty cracker box. And uh, a lot, hey, a lot of my long-term people, they quit. It didn't matter what I was paying them. They couldn't take it. It was uh, it was just too awful. And mm-hmm. uh, and so when I rebuilt, we were, we try, I, try, I tried to be smarter about how I structured people's pay. And so uh, we came up with a very different incentive system um, that I feel I, I really like it. And that's kind of, you know, and it's really, so now my overhead has gone from 70 to just above 50%. And we're not doing 180 plus per month now, but the net's it really, really matter. good. <laughs> right, the net's really yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I always tell everybody that my, my biggest nightmare is that I'm going to make somebody busy. And I got to live that nightmare last year where I always tell people I got two goals. I want to slow your practice down while I increase production because I need to set a pace that we can do for 25 years till you flip the keys to someone else. Right. Right. So we had a practice in, uh, it was in Fort Worth where we hit the gas and there was so much dentistry being done. I, I don't, I, I can't explain why I didn't catch it, but what we figured out is that production went up by 40%. The profits only went up by 1%. Oh, that is, that is my nightmare. Like all we did was make somebody busy, but you know, back to the point where you were talking about, um, you know, just employee compensation, bonus systems, all these things where it gets, uh, incredibly tough is when we'll see younger dentists who buy into a practice and these guys are, they're, they're great clinicians. They're so ambitious, but most of them haven't run so much as a lemonade stand before this. Right. And all of a sudden you got half a dozen or more people who've been there for 20 or 30 years who aren't listening to number one to a darn thing you've got to say, but then all of a sudden they're on these pay scales that are massively inflated for what the production is going to be. And they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They don't want to come in and swing the ax. And it's sometimes it leads us down the road of some pretty uncomfortable situations. Uh, one that's all too common is when the, the hygienist is, is making more than the owner. And that, that's not even true of newer docs. I see that all the time. And folks who have been doing this 10, 15 years or more. And they'll make all the excuses in the world. You know, they'll say, um, oh my gosh, the patient's lover. Oh, if I did anything, she'd leave and all the people would leave and I'll be upset. So I said, no problem. I'm, I'm going to hold. Um, go grab her. Bring her in here. We're going to get your bank on the phone and, and we're going to put her on the loan. 
And he goes, what? I go, no, she's going to co-sign on, on your loan. And she, they're like, what are you talking about? Well, she's going to share in the rewards and she needs to share in the risk. Because when you graduated from dental school, I don't remember her being there, right? And I know that sounds a little pointed, but if you look at a practice, I, I try to be as owner-centric as possible because literally 100% of what's around you can go away. You literally experience that, right? I go, the only thing that's going to be constant is you. So we need to build your practice around you and the way that you want to be supported and all that kind of good stuff. And, and I don't know if it's just um, dentists in general or what it might be, but it's hard for people to take that step. Um, the, the second one, as you mentioned, smaller towns and relationships, hiring family members. There's a gentleman I just talked to not that long ago who has three grown children that had gone off into life. One was a principal, other ones were whatever. Those either they didn't like those jobs or whatever it was. So now they're back in the office and they're back on the payroll being paid two to three times what that should be. And they can't figure out why they're not making any money. And, and I tell them, I go, I don't care what you do. Like it's your practice. Like my job is to be an instrument of your vision. And if that's what you want to spend, well, here's what we need to produce. Unfortunately, the probability of that happening is it's more likely a, you know, we're going to be killed by falling airplane parts. Then you're going to be able to outproduce what this is. And, and it's just so <laughs> difficult. But um, I can't imagine waking up one day and having your whole practice like you did just just gone. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, hey, I'll tell you something that I've done to people before uh, when they have the like their daughter working for them and they're paying them, mm -hmm. you know, 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars a year to be the front desk receptionist. And I just, right. I'm, I'm like, I say, look, let's, let's just do this. It, you know, it's totally cool. I understand if you want to pay your daughter that much, that's totally fine. But let's just, cool. uh, but if you were hiring somebody today, you know, let's say your daughter wasn't here, what would you think you'd want to pay? And then, you know, so let's say, okay, well, let's say $30,000 a year. Okay. Well, let's just do that. Then let's, let's figure your percentages and uh, your overhead using that number mm -hmm. and, and 30%, mm -hmm. you know, 30,000 a year. And then we'll just, you know, for, for our sake of coaching, we'll just take the other 40,000 and we'll put it to the side and we'll show you that that was your compensation that you just chose to give your daughter, which is fine. Uh, but a lot of times when you segment it out like that, it's like, uh, sometimes not always, sometimes the light bulb will go off and they'll be, Oh, I, I see. <laughs> well, and I love that you do that. I always tell people, you know, nobody, nobody ever has better ideas than they do. And I know it sounds weird, but if you, as, uh, Jamie Amos uses the expression, you, know, you can't push a rope. Um, the way I describe it is kind of the push versus pull coaching methodology where it doesn't do me any good to walk in and tell somebody what I believe they should do. Where I think that I'm more effective is when I'll come out, paint the picture exactly what you're doing, and they're going to they're arrive at that same conclusion themselves. And then they're going to ask how we go about achieving that better model, which what you're doing is so much smarter then I think what sort of the the ad hoc consultant or whomever comes in and says, this is, we got to change this here, put the path on and do, 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 do. Change management doesn't work like that. In fact, I'll be, I'll be honest, um, I wildly overestimated the pace at which a team can change and maintain the change. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a madman. Uh, I tell most people, if you've heard me lecture, I haven't slept through the night since I'm 22 years old. I get ideas in my head. I got to put them somewhere. So I'm constantly writing or developing or doing things, all the side projects in the world you can think of. And, and that's me. So sometimes you create your knee-jerk reactions to create systems that you yourself would, uh, would prosper in. And that's a huge mistake. 
So in the early days, I came in, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. These are going to be the outcomes. And the teams, it wasn't okay. Their primary concern was that now I'm here to disrupt relationships that they might have spent a decade cultivating, right? So now here's what I do. Now we'll sync up, we'll use dental intel, we'll have them do homework, whatever it is. But I'm, But every team's got something. Every team's got something that they're in the top one, two, five percent in the country about. Um, as you know, dentistry is incredibly isolating. Everyone's kind of on islands. You don't always know where you fit in the grand scheme of things against your peers. So my first call usually with the teams will be just, it's really short. I'll walk in and I'll say, did you guys realize that when it comes to whether it's no-show rates, pre-appointment, you know, whatever it might be, you guys are in the top one, two percent in the country. Uh, what, what are you doing to, to make that true? Number one, they didn't know that they were. And number two, we realized that this practice isn't getting anywhere without them, right? So I asked them that question and typically they'll just start thinking about it. And like, oh, well, you know, I guess we do this or I always make sure I do that. And they'll start giving me this list. And I'll say, oh, it's amazing. Thank you guys so much. That's it. No hammer drop, no white knight syndrome. I'm not here to save the day, anything like that. And then usually I'll send them an email or something a couple of days later and say, hey, if you see this situation again, add this one little twist. There's one little, there's one little hiccup here and then and see if that works, see if patients like that. Then we measure the outcome. The next week we come in, same situation. One little thing, measure the outcome. Now, typically, depending on the office and specifically depending on the tenure of the employees, right around week four or five, that's when it goes from push to pull, where all of a sudden they'll see that the suggestions are not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like no, very few practices are truly broken. Usually it's just a matter of being a little more effective by doing it a little bit differently. And once they see that I'm an asset or one of our coaches is, is an asset, not there to make their lives hard, that's when they start pulling information out of us. That's when they'll start saying, well, hey, you know what? Every time the insurance question comes up, I'm handling it this way and it's never working out. And all of a sudden now they're pulling all this guidance out and that's when I know that I can turn up the gas. Otherwise, it's eyedropper, eyedropper, eyedropper. And I tell you, I fought the wrong fights for, for a long time before I really came to understand uh, the psychology of really influencing a dental team that way. I mean, um, you're a high achiever. Your buddies are high achievers. I mean, you got to I imagine you guys have run in with great ideas sometimes and the team's like, oh, no. And then uh, it's hard to it's hard to keep it going, you know? Oh, man. Uh, you said that you said something real smart there uh, is that you fought the wrong battles for a long time. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you got to realize that, uh, everybody's not you and you, you might even not realize it because so this is, this is, so I like to hang with high achievers, right? All of my friends. So I have a really good practice. Um, you know, I, I don't like to talk about how well we do, but it's a good practice in my circle of, let's say my top 10 friends in dentistry. Uh, I'm only like, barely in the top 50% uh, because I do hang with the high achievers in dentistry. And uh, like in college, my two college roommates, one of them is basically a billionaire. He's got his own oil company in Houston, Texas. The other one mm -hmm. is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, he's, he's uh, the highest colonel you can be in the air force before you go into being a general. And, uh, and so I mean, I said, like, out of those three guys, I'm like number three, right? So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, so well, then when you start to, uh, you start to work with other people, it's not that they're not high achievers or whatever. They may have different priorities or something like, if you're the kind, so like, I'm the kind of guy, if you tell me, hey, Chris, we need to do X, Y, Z, then this afternoon, I'm going to be out there pursuing X, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't mind making a mistake and trying to fix it and try again or whatever, but 
you just don't necessarily find that everywhere. And if you go in and you try to be like a buzzsaw, like the doctor has paid me to make you guys a really high producing practice. Um, I just, that has never worked for me. Yeah. Uh, good luck with that. yeah so I don't know. And I think they're probably young consultants out there that think that's the way you still do it, but that's, uh, um, well, yeah. And they think that's how you showcase, I don't know if it's, it's intellect or authority or what, like if I come in and be very authoritative, they're going to love that. And that's not true. Like I didn't, I, I always tell people every day, like, you know, I've, I've never touched a tooth in my life. Like I've never helped. I mean, I, that, I can go more into that here in a little bit, but it's one of those deals that that team needs to understand how I see them. And I see them as the keys to the success of this practice, not barriers to the success of that practice. And unfortunately, a lot of dentists or new business owners, whatnot, they'll call up. And I think they literally believe that um, their team members get out of bed in the morning and they've got a post-it note on the mirror that says, don't forget, make everything as difficult as possible. <laughs> like that's not what they're trying to do. Like there's a, you know what they're so willing to learn as long as you approach them in the right way and make that happen it's interesting when you talk about just how success is framed kind of by those around you right um just how we define it uh, i always look for patterns i always look for predictability in terms of what's going to happen with our clients and what's interesting is the younger guys and gals I, I, and i use guys collectively uh, for those listening i'm in the pacific northwest we've got uh more genders than colors now, so uh, whatever, <laughs> not to offend anybody. But, um, but it's interesting, again, national average for production, 375, 400, somewhere in there. Most of the time, in the, the first year growth is gonna be about $185 an hour, so 272,000. But then what's interesting is year two, it drops down to an increase in about 85 bucks an hour, and then the year after that, about 50 bucks an hour. So. Overall, in those three years, it's growth of like 314,000, which is fine. But then they, they kind of camp out where right around that 650 mark, like that's where that's kind of their little homeostasis. It's the amount of money they wanted to make. It's the, the amount of time they wanted to be at the office and so on. And, and they're happy. And, and I got to tell you, as a gentleman, Ian Fontenot, if you're listening down in Louisiana, I'm telling your story here. He knows that I do. But here's a guy who... Um, took over a new practice, it was, uh, needed some refinement to be, uh, to be nice about it. Um, and he got to that 650 mark uh, pretty, pretty darn quickly. And now I'm seeing this velocity and I'm doing what I do. I got lost in the numbers. I got all excited. And I'm like, oh, well, did you know that if we just do this and that and we go over here, you'll be at a thousand an hour, like within a year, do you know how crazy that is? And, and I knew him pretty well at this point. He was being kind of squirrely, just being a little more quiet than he usually is. And I'm like, hey man, like something, something's up. Like, um, Talk to me, man. And all of a sudden he just goes, well, what if I'm happy at 650? And I, when I just threw my hands up and I was like, well, then be happy at 650, man. You don't have to produce a dollar for me. It doesn't impress anybody. I want you to just be happy with your business and I want the outcomes to match the efforts. That, that is it. So it, it's funny when um, I was just giving a lecture in Detroit last week and one of the, the things that I do and the luxury that I have is that I spend so much time looking outside of dentistry because I have time to do so. So I like to bring in uh, some tactics that larger companies use, things that have nothing to do with dental use. Um, I, for example, I said, um, let's just talk about success and what that means and what a successful practice is, quote unquote. I said, how many of you in here would say that uh, Amazon is a successful company? 
And of course, every hand in the room grows up. Uh, as I, if folks don't know, I live on an island, literally an island. So we order everything from dog food to light bulbs to whatever. Everything comes from Amazon. And I said, well, why do you think Amazon's successful? And nobody really had an answer. They could see that I was baiting them into something. I said, usually it's because we have a lot of involvement with them. We, uh, we use them. Everybody in this room probably uses Amazon for something. But what if we evaluated Amazon based on the bottom line? Um, Amazon started right around 1994, and they didn't make dollar one in profits until 2001. And to make that even more startling, if you took from that day in 2001 when they made a dollar in profits, if you took all the profits they've ever made ever, it would equal less than the profits that ExxonMobil makes in two and a half weeks. I go, now who's successful? How do you evaluate it? To, to make their numbers work, they have to have a 50% market share by 2021 for their what's called a price per earnings ratio on the, on the stock market to make sense. Um, it's a tall order. Do I think they can do it? Absolutely. Do investors agree? They sure do. And I'm one of those investors. But it's very interesting how people perceive success. And if you look at Amazon, it has, it's not profits. So sometimes in a dental office, I tell people, you know, well, what are your, what are your goals? And they'll, they'll throw numbers down, they'll throw numbers down, but I've really had to remind myself to ask those other goals. You know, there's, um, you know, what, what have you always wanted to do that you've never done? You know, what are those things that I always use the expression, what gives you energy, right? Let's go back to farming. I grew up in Iowa, right? I, I know a few farmers and the people that are doing it by choice, it gives them energy, right? I mean, you could, by all accounts, you could work your three days and then spend the rest of the week in a hot tub drinking margaritas and people would still say that you deserve it. You worked your tail off. Not that you go over to something else that's incredibly labor intensive. It's a, it's, farming can be incredibly stressful if people who don't know about it. It's a, it's a lot that goes on there. But, um, <laughs> it's, only but stressful I'm get, you, it's only stressful if you mind losing money every day. <laughs> yeah. Just, just that, you know, and, uh, but, but wouldn't you agree? I mean, uh, that's why you do it. I, I got to imagine you enjoy it. it. It's part of your lineage. It's part of your family history and, and it gives you energy. Not that it means you're bound into the fields every day, but it keeps you going back. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, about seven or eight years ago, my family farm, I was the only grandson on both sides of the family and I've, I've inherited a couple of farms and, uh, one of them got the centennial farm status in Mississippi is where you've had a you know, planted a crop continuously for the last hundred years. So mm, I mean, I would, that's cool. I would be like letting down my ancestors, right? If I, if I didn't do something, even if it's just go plant five acres of pumpkins and let, and rent out the rest, I got to do something, but I do, do there's nothing like, if you're from Iowa, I mean, there's nothing like, uh, the smell of freshly broken soil. Uh, it's just something about it. It's as distinct as, as, you can't describe it unless you've been there. And what's interesting to me is that uh, living in the Pacific Northwest now, um, the only things they grow around here are things that you smoke, if you know what I mean. But um, in Iowa, I mean, I, I, I loved it. And it's always funny, you know, as we travel, like when people hear where you grow up, it's like they almost feel sorry for you. I'm like, oh, hmm, how'd that go? I'm like, you don't, you don't know. You don't know. It's wonderful. Like we grew up in, a, you know, when I was, when you were 14, you got your, uh, your work permit and your school permit. Because all the kids, you know, been driving tractors since right. they were eight right. and stuff. So we had we had cars. We rolled all around. There was no crime where we grew up. We were the crime. You know, what I mean, like it was a it was a wonderful way where these kids today. I mean, and I've got I've got three myself. And it's a different world. My parents never knew where I was. We were at the wood. We were in the woods. We were in the creek. We were in the fields. We were everywhere. 
you know, living it up. And uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I, I know some people who grew up in Manhattan and um, man, one gal, when she was 15, it was a big deal because at the at age of 15, she could go five blocks away from her house. That was now her radius where she could exist. <laughs> I, can, you, can you imagine that? Can you? I, I, I just, I don't want, I don't want it. I don't need it. It does not appeal to me whatsoever. Oh no, no, that's something. It's, 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 uh, it's something else. I mean, you gotta be from, I always tell people, you kind of, I, I tell people you gotta be from here to want to come back, but I am. So I did. And I love it. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Dr. Chris Griffin show. Be sure to visit drchrisgriffin.com for the latest resources and updates to keep you more productive every single day you're at the practice. So when you're not working, you can do the things that matter most in life. We look forward to having you join us for another episode of The Chris Griffin Show, where the doctor is always in.